Because the first Mishnah of the Perek discussed a custom which applied in certain communities not to work on Erev Pesach, pretty much the entire rest of the Perek was designated to discuss different customs, not really to do with Pesach, but various customs which only applied in a particular place. And the general rule is that one needs to follow Minhagamokim, the custom of the place where he is right now. Certainly, if the custom is to be more strict, then that custom needs to be followed. And even if that custom is to be more lenient, there is a discussion as to whether the custom needs to be followed. Be it as it may, our mission discusses selling animals to non-Jews. Now, with Jabonon, it's forbidden to sell a working animal to a non-Jew in case you come to lend it to the non-Jew or to rent the animal to the non-Jew. Now, what's the problem with renting or lending an animal to a non-Jew? The answer is that just like one is forbidden to do work on Shabbos himself, it is also forbidden to allow one's animals to be doing work on Shabbos. For that reason, one cannot allow his animals to carry things out into a public domain on Shabbos, for example. And even if one lends his animal or rents out his animal to somebody else, the animal still belongs to him, and so he needs to make sure that the animal is not doing any malacha, any activities which are forbidden on Shabbos, even if they are currently being looked after by somebody else. So you're therefore not allowed to even lend or rent an animal to a non-Jew, because then he'll use it, he'll work it on Shabbos. And with Jabodon, it's even forbidden to sell it to him, in case people come to lend or rent animals to non-Jews. Now that's with regards to working animals, which do malacha on Shabbos. Now what about smaller animals, which just graze in the fields, for example? They're not working animals. So this depended on the custom. Mokum gulim Lagoyim, in a place where the custom was to permit selling um, smaller animals, non-working animals to non-Jews, it is permitted to sell them to non-Jews. However, in a place where the custom was to forbid selling them to non-Jews, one cannot sell them to non-Jews, and that again is a stringency, so that one does not come to sell them large working animals, which would in turn lead them to lending or renting the animals, the working animals, to the non-Jews who would use it for Shabbos. Says the Mishnah, In every place, one cannot sell the non-Jews a large working animal, as we said, in case you might come to lend or rent it to them, and the non-Jew will work it on Shabbos. And this applies whether it's a golem or siachim, young cows or young goats, even though they're too young to currently work, we don't start making exceptions within a certain type of animal. People won't realize if you start permitting certain animals, people will come to permit other ones. So even if the young ones aren't yet ready to work, it is still forbidden to sell them to non-Jews. And similarly, shemlemen or shavurin, whether the animals are whole or broken, meaning if the animal has a wound or it's not able to work, so even in that case it would be forbidden to sell it, because again we can't start making exceptions and differentiating between different types of animals, rather it is forbidden to sell any large working animal. On the other hand, Rabbi Yehuda Yehuda permits one to sell a animal which has a wound, or an animal which is not able to work because of its physical condition. Because says Rabbi Yehuda, this animal would never be able to work. It's not really even considered to be a working animal. And so it is permitted to sell it. We're not concerned that if you sell this, you'll come to sell other large animals which do work. Ben Beseir Matribasus. Then Basir permits one to sell a horse to a non-Jew, and we're discussing a horse which is designated for riding on. Now with Araisa, it is permitted to ride an animal on Shabbos, due to the rule that Hachai Nesis Atzmoi, a living person, carries himself. So if a person or an animal is carrying another person, with Araisa they are not obligated, they are not liable for carrying on Shabbos. 
even though it's generally forbidden to carry, for example, in a public domain on Shabbos, if the thing being carried is a person, we have a rule that Achaino says Atzmai. The living person has a living spirit in him which can carry himself. It's not considered to be carrying him. And because of that, so too, an animal is allowed to carry the person. So with Ereisa, it is permitted to ride an animal on Shabbos. So although it is forbidden with Rabbanon, since on the Mid-Eraisa level it's permitted, one is allowed to sell a non-Jew, a riding horse, because it's not considered to be a working animal at all, and even if you do ultimately come to just lend it to him, and the non-Jew comes to ride it on Shabbos, he won't have violated a Mid-Eraisa prohibition. Mr. Dalad, this example actually does have something to do with Pesach, because the halacha is that the Korm Pesach, as we learned earlier on in the Masechta, has to be roasted. It can't be cooked or boiled, it has to be roasted specifically. And because of that, many places had a custom, and still do, not to eat any roasted meat on Seder night. Especially after the Mesamekdash was destroyed and we don't yet have a carbon Pesach. So if somebody has roasted meat on Seder night outside of Yerushalayim, people might come to be led to think the one is allowed to bring a carbon Pesach outside of Yerushalayim. And so they had the custom to forbid it, so that it will be clear that they are not eating a carbon Pesach. In a place where the minhag was to permit eating roasted meat on Seder night, they may eat roasted meat. But in a location where the minhag was to forbid eating roasted meat, then they are not allowed to eat roasted meat on Seder night. And the second half of the Mishnah discusses the minhag of lighting candles for Yom Kippur. Now for every Shabbos and Yom Tov, it's a mitzvah to light candles so that there'll be light over Shabbos and Yom Tov. But on Yom Kippur, one of the prohibitions of Yom Kippur is to have relations with one's wife. And to prevent a man from having marital relations with his wife, some places have the custom to specifically light candles in one's home and in one's bedroom for Yom Kippur, before Yom Kippur comes in, of course, because it's generally forbidden to have relations with one's wife in the light. So if one makes sure that he has light there on Yom Kippur, as long as he lit it before Yom Kippur came in, that would be a way to stop people from having marital relations together. On the other hand, some people had the opposite custom, because they said that if you have light everywhere, that a man will see his wife, and that will encourage him to indeed have marital relations with her. And so according to that custom, it's better not to have any lights for Yom Kippur, and that's a better way to prevent people from having relations on Yom Kippur. In a place where the minhag, where the custom was to light candles for Yom Kippur night, it is permitted to do so. And one should do so. But in a place where the minhag was specifically not to light candles for Yom Kippur, it is forbidden to light candles for Yom Kippur. However, one does light candles in every place, in the shuls of Rotemidrashis and in the Beis Hamedrash, the study halls, and in dark alleys, and on top of ill people, because in all these places, of course, there's no concern that somebody will have marital relations, and so for the sake of honoring the Yom Tov of Yom Kippur, just like with every Yom Tov and Shabbos, one should light candles for the honor of the day. Mishnah the halach is that an ovel, somebody who is mourning over the death of a relative, for example, he is forbidden, as long as he is an ovel, during that week at least, he is forbidden to work. That would distract him from his mourning. So he's forbidden to work. And the question is, on Tishabav, the day when everybody mourns the Beis HaMikdosh, we're considered to be Avelim. So is it also forbidden to work on Tishabav? The answer is, it depends on the custom. In a place where the custom was to permit doing work on Tishabav, and the reason why they would permit it is because the Avelos, the mourning over the Beis HaMikdosh, is known as Avelos Yishana, an old mourning. 
meaning it happened so long ago that although it was an awesome tragedy, and today, every single day, we're living the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, nevertheless, because the actual event occurred many, many years ago, the laws of Avelis are less strict than for a regular Ovel who is mourning somebody who died during that week. And therefore, if the custom of that place was to permit it, then Oisin, one is allowed to do work if he is in that place. But if in that place the custom is to prohibit doing work on Tisha B'Av, then Ein Oisin, one cannot do work. However, in every single place, regardless of the custom, the more righteous people, the people who are looked upon as they should not do work on that day. They should focus more on the Avelos and the loss of the Beis HaMikdash. The Meiri explains that actually the Churban Beis HaMikdash, the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, means a lot more to Lamidei Chachamim. The entire Torah is of a lower quality as a result of the Churban Beis HaMikdash. And also since they are more righteous, they need to realize the awesome loss and the awesome tragedy of a world without the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, they cannot do work regardless of the custom. Rabbi Shem and Gamliel says, even though in general there is a concept known as yuhara, which means that one should not do special stringencies, at least in public, which make him look as if he is very righteous, or as if he's trying to look righteous, one who is not necessarily on the level should not behave like a Talmud Chacham because it appears to be arrogance. However, over here, says Rosh Gamliel, here is an exception. Really, one should make himself into a Talmud Chacham in this case, and that it is fitting for anybody, even if he is not necessarily an extra Talmud Chacham, it's fitting that he does not work on Tisha B'av, so that he also feels the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, and also over here, it doesn't necessarily look like it's arrogance, because if you think about it, there are lots of people who on an average day don't work anyway. So if you're not working on Tisha B'av, it's not recognizable that you're doing it because you view yourself as a Talmud Chacham. People might just think that you don't have a job. And so since it does not appear like arrogance, it is fitting not to work, even if the custom is to permit working. Now, the reason why we got into the entire discussion of different Mihogim, different customs, is because of the first Mishnah in the Perek, which discussed doing work on Erev Pesach. So according to that Mishnah, the idea of doing work on Erev Pesach is dependent on Minhag on the custom of each place. However, Vachachom and the Chachom say that this is not dependent on custom, rather this is actual halacha. There was an argument about whether the halacha is that you can do work or you can't do work, but this is not just considered to be a custom. Those who prohibited work said that the law was that it was forbidden to work. It wasn't just a custom. So for example, be Yehuda in the area of Eretz Yisrael known as Yehuda, they would do malacha, they would do work, but Ari Pesachim ad on Erev Pesach until midday, because they held that the halacha was that it was permitted, uva golil, and in the area called the golil, lo they would not do work at all, because they held that it was forbidden, according to the letter of the law. And the big difference which this makes is that if somebody lives in a place where it's forbidden to work, and then he moves and, and decides to live elsewhere, where the custom is that it is permitted to work. So if it's only a custom, then as soon as you move place, you move house, you can follow the custom of the place. However, if originally when you didn't do work, that wasn't just because of a custom, rather it was because you held that it was literally forbidden according to the letter of the law to work on Erev Pesach, then just because you moved house, that does not change that law and you would still be forbidden to work on Erev Pesach. Alright, ends off the mission with a discussion of the Halayla, the night of Erev Pesach. Beis Shammai Eastern, Beis Shammai forbid one to work according to the custom or according to the law that it is forbidden to work on Erev Pesach. 
Beit Shammai say that it includes the night before as well. The night is also considered to be Erev Pesach. However, Beit Hill Matirin, Beit Hill permit one to do work in the night of Erev Pesach, up until sunrise, just like other things, for example, a fast, except for Yom Kippur and Tishabov, most fasts only begin in the daytime. So you see that we can separate the night and the day apart, and therefore, according to Beis Hillel, the prohibition of working, even according to those who say it's prohibited, that only begins on the morning of Erev Pesach. Mishnah Zal, Rabbi Meir, Omer Rabbi Meir says, even according to the custom, or according to the law, in certain places that it is forbidden to work on Erev Pesach, any malacha, any form of work which one began to do before the 14th of Nisan, before the day of Erev Pesach, he is permitted to finish that work on the morning of Erev Pesach, since he already began before Erev Pesach. And the Gemara explains this is only permitted if the form of work which one is doing is for the sake of Yom Tov, if it's for the need of Pesach itself, and you already started it before Erev Pesach, then you are permitted to finish it on Erev Pesach. But one is not allowed to begin the task at the beginning on Erev Pesach. Even if he is able to complete that task before Erev Pesach, and even if he is able to finish it before midday on Erev Pesach, and even if it's for the sake of the Yom itself, nevertheless it is forbidden in those places to begin that form of work on Erev Pesach itself. Bachachom Ebrim Chachom say there are three exceptions to this rule. And the reason for these three exceptions are that these forms of work are considered more lenient since there was more need for these forms of work, especially around the Yom Tov season, and in fact even on Cholomoed, the days in the middle of Pesach, which are in many ways considered to be exactly like a Yom Tov, and so most forms of work are forbidden on Cholomoed, the following three things are permitted on Cholomoed sometimes. And so because we see that there are leniencies when it comes to these forms of work, so on Erev Pesach it is also permitted. Sholosh three trades, three crafts, those craftsmen can perform their work on Erev Pesach up until midday, even in a place where the custom is to prohibit it. They're even allowed to start that malacha on Erev Pesach. And the following are those three, hachayotim. Tailors who sew things, hasaparim, barbers, vakovsim, and people who wash clothes, since there are certain leniencies which apply even on Cholomod itself, so it's certainly permitted on Erev Pesach up until midday. Rabbi Yisbar Yehuda says there's one more, Afharat's on him, even shoemakers, since again this was especially important for the need of the Yomtov, on Cholomod it was permitted for shoemakers to repair people's shoes. And this was very much needed for the Yom Tov because everybody came up to the base Hamikdash to Yerushalayim, so they did a lot of walking. And since it's permitted on Cholamur, it is also permitted on Erev Pesach.